Amen. So we are in our second last part of Ruth. And before I ask Anita to come and read our text for us today, uh, I want to uh, pull in on the journey a little bit. We've come to the book of Ruth because we felt led to try and understand what this meaning of Redeemer is. We are about to change our name. We felt God lead us in that process as a church. And um, this word Redeemer Christian Church has redemption at its heart. And there is no more beautiful book in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, um, than this love story of Ruth and how it portrays. And it's, it's there in the Old Testament to teach Israel how redemption's to work. And uh, if you are wondering uh, what redemption means or a simple definition, and we're going to see it next week in particular, but it is to deliver from some evil by the paying of a price. And we are going to see how God raises up a redeemer to rescue Ruth, and it's at a great cost to himself. And uh, if, if you are joining us for the first time today, a brief snapshot of the journey thus far is we started week one by saying, why do we need redeeming? It's a great question. Uh, we have this family headed by Elimelech. There's a famine in Bethlehem, their hometown, where God has called them to stay. And because of the stress and pressure, they take things into their own hands and they head off to Moab. And we said that uh, this, this going against God's way is the essence of what sin is. And in the end, it's a devastating decision for this family. Elimelech dies, his two sons die, and Naomi is left with nothing in a foreign land far from God's people. And there we said the story should have ended, but... This merciful God finds her in a foreign field working, and, and there's a, a rumor that God has been good to his people in Bethlehem. He's visited them. He's kept his promise, and she repents. She hears God's word, and she returns to um, the place of trusting him, represented in going back to the land which she's called her to stay in. And Ruth comes along, and she actually comes to faith. And then we saw in week two how God redeems the suffering. I mean, Naomi, I love, you know what I respect about her is her honesty. She doesn't put on a mask in front of God when she gets back to Bethlehem. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for I am bitter. And we saw how God begins to work in Naomi's pain and her circumstances for her good and his glory. And then we saw last week the way he works is by God providing a redeemer. And it just so happens the first field that Naomi sends Ruth to go and glean on is Boaz's field, who happens to be a kinsman. And this guy is so godly. And the way he treats Ruth with dignity and Naomi, he is a foreshadow of Christ. And we see how God is raising up this man Boaz to deliver this family or what's left of it. And so today, although everything seems to be so sweet, if you haven't listened to Bryce's sermon last week, please do. One would think Boaz got all the signals and hints he needed, but he hasn't yet. Naomi says to Ruth, you need to go help this guy along. You need to go and ask for this redemption. So I'm going to ask Anita to come and read Ruth 3 for us today. Ruth 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, 
but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay down at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And when she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, This six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must go back, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. What a wise woman. Thank you, Annie. My first point today is finding rest in redemption. Do you notice a beautiful word that Naomi says to Ruth? She's watching her daughter-in-law and the struggle that Ruth has had to have over the last few months of having to go and glean and work. And despite all of Ruth's efforts, when Naomi sees Ruth, she realizes Ruth is still not secure. And she, she opens up with this beautiful sentence in verse 1. She says, My daughter... Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And church, we must remember that these two women, although that they had been provided for during the harvest of barley and wheat, that that harvest was not going to last forever. And uh, their situation was precarious. They had no real income past Boaz's generosity. Ruth's situation was vulnerable because she's a Moabite, she's a foreigner. And when Naomi dies, she doesn't have an advocate for her in Israel. She's come as a foreigner. She will have no relatives. She's left it all. She's left Moab. But now she's coming into this situation where Naomi's getting on. And uh, if Naomi dies, uh, Ruth's future is highly uncertain. And, and really what Naomi's saying in this seeking rest for Ruth is she wants to see Ruth have a place in the people of God. She wants to see Ruth secure. She wants to see Ruth having a stable 
hope for the future. And the only way in ancient Israel that was possible was by Ruth being able to marry uh, a, a worthy Israelite man. And I listened to a wonderful sermon by Ian Kruger on this passage. And he is right when he says the rest that Naomi is seeking for Ruth is actually the kind of rest you and I are seeking for every day of our lives. We actually as human beings have deep needs in our souls and we might not consciously join the dots of what we do every day um, to why we do them. But if you take some time to consider really what you're after um, in life, are these needs that Naomi is seeking for Ruth. The first is the deep need to belong. Anybody felt lonely here? It is a state of being. Do you know that in the UK, they have appointed a minister for loneliness? It is an, a, a pandemic we are living in. People just don't feel like they belong. People want the deep need of, of, of their life, this deep question answered, am I loved? Am I accepted? And remember, Ruth is a foreigner. She's not sure, apart from the kindness of Boaz, whether she actually belongs in this community and whether she's actually accepted. And marriage to an Israelite man would bring a social acceptance, but also, if he's godly, the kind of love she needs when Naomi passes. The other deep need is the need for security. We want to know, are we safe? And are we secure? You don't have to go far. I went for a run yesterday, and the electric fences and the high walls, they just seem to be getting higher and higher, right? And the AI cameras seem to be getting more and more. It, it's, it, this pursuit for security physically is manifested everywhere in our city. But there's something much deeper than that. It's a security um, in a sense of our own inner self and, and our own inner a space being free from threat. And, and we, we, we want financial and social and physical protection. We want to know, are we secure? The other deep need is for identity. And uh, sorry, just to go back around security, Ruth had none of that. She had no financial security. She had no social security. She had no physical protection. But there was a deeper need as well. Ruth was kind of floating in Israel without an identity. She had said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And, and her faith is bringing her up into God's redemptive plan. But she was lingering. She was in between. She, she didn't have a family line. She didn't have an identity in the people of Israel. She was coming along as Naomi's huntlanger, really. And although she was earning respect because of the love she showed Naomi, she actually didn't have an identity in, in the people of God. And this deep need for identity is real for us. We want to know who we are. What makes me, right? How do I define who I am? And uh, Ruth um, is, is uh, needing this identity, and Naomi is saying, you need to find it as a wife. But then the fourth and, and, and kind of rest that Naomi wants to seek for Ruth is a hope for the future. She wants to give Ruth, a certainty about the future, a stability. It's meeting that deep question of, will I be okay? Will I be okay? And I just want to acknowledge in the room today, there are many people asking that question. Pensioners going, am I going to be okay if I look at the cost of living, right? I get a good yes, amen from there. 
Parents, you're asking about your children. Are they going to be okay, right? Where can I get another passport? <laughs> or how about this, our own personal sense of security? Are financially, are we going to be okay in South Africa going forward? You know, one of the marks of Uganda coming back from there last year was that they are highly optimistic about the future. And the second I put my foot here in the airport, you can just feel in our nation we are at a point of time where everybody is asking that sort of question on the cliff edge. Are we going to be okay? And, and this is deeply impacting our society. Friends, it's nothing new. These deep questions that we have around um, our souls are seeking, they, they've always been there. And you'll remember the great Saint Augustine. He, he said the following, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Can I say, when I look at you, some, or let me use it more generically, if I look at my own life, if I look at us shopping, working, dropping off kids, doing school, next, is there is this underlying restlessness that is driving us. And, and sometimes we need to stop and just say, what is it in my life that's the engine room for making me do what I do? Because... What we see here in Augustine, he says this restlessness drives us to find rest somewhere. And you are looking for it, whether you know it or not. You are looking for it in many spaces. Maybe it's in work. Maybe it's in wealth or the lack thereof. Maybe it's in achieving something. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in certain forms of pleasure. You are being driven to try and satiate your soul's deep need for rest. But what we learn from the book of Ruth is this, is although you can run to all those options, our souls have been designed to find rest in God alone. And Naomi is an example of somebody under great restlessness. There was famine in Bethlehem. They, they had to make a decision as a family. And, and there was this turmoil as to what to do. Rather than looking to the Lord and settling down in his promises of provision for them as the people of God, they ran to Moab. They ran to a worldly system of trying to reap a sort of security from a field that did not belong to them, was not part of the inheritance of God for them, was not part of God's promises for them. And in that moment when she ran to the fields of Moab to find security, to find identity, to find a sense of belonging and a hope for the future, she lost it all. And, and Ian, I would love you to listen to that sermon. He's from Common Ground. He preached here, but he makes a very powerful statement. He says this. He says, when we try and take these things into our own hands, we find out we're not very good at them. And actually, these fields of self that we run to, self-plans, uh, self-effort, self self trying to centralize these key things in our, in our own selves. When we do that, we actually find we lose them because we are not to be the source of them, but God himself. And uh, friends, suddenly, when Naomi, after all of her bitterness, and again, she's honest, she says, call me Mara, I am bitter, after she sees, wow, suddenly Ruth lands in Boaz's field, after she sees the kindness of Boaz, she starts to click that this guy's a kinsman. 
that this guy's actually a redeemer, that this guy is actually the means of the way of God providing for their future. And she starts to see, hey, God's at work here. And, and she realizes in, in Ruth chapter 3, she's got to give the situation a little bit of, of a nudge. But why she does it is she starts to see in Israel that this way of God providing for the destitute is the way she's got to go. And she starts trusting in God's ways of rescue. She starts trusting in God's ways of restoration. She starts trusting in the, in, in, in the certainty of God's um, uh, uh, word to his people. And in that moment, things change. Now, I said at the start, I bring to my, it brings me to my second point, that we have to ask for redemption. In Ruth 2, after Bryce preached last week, I'm like, this is an amazing guy, Boris. He clearly has the hearts for Ruth. Why, after these months of barley harvest, has he still done nothing? Right? If you ask that sort of a question, you know, it's clearly he's interested. I mean, he couldn't be more, more open. But you see, at this stage, and it's a lesson for us, is He's not sure how to handle this Moabite test. She's a foreigner. And there was some awkwardness around uh, um, foreigners and marriage. However, I would say she gave up her foreign identity by saying, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And in my view of Scripture, Boaz had, was not transgressing any law by wanting to marry Ruth. But she had a past. How many of you have heard of that, eh? She had a past. And he wasn't quite sure how to handle this. How do I do this? Because he was a godly guy. He's taking his time. But Naomi's saying, this guy's taking too much time. And what she does is she knows how to get at his heart. Can I just say to you today, if you are looking for a marriage partner, look for a man or a woman that loves God's word. Don't let them talk. Watch. Listen around how they love God's word. Because this Naomi, she's so clever. She knows how to get at Boaz's heart. It's through the scriptures. And in Deuteronomy 25, don't worry about the technical term, but just that you can bank it if someone says that you don't get shocked by it, is leveret marriage. And it was this, that in God's word, the brother-in-law of a brother who died had to marry the widow and raise up heirs for the deceased brother. You with me? Okay. Or, as we see Ruth's interpretation of that, had to be the nearest next kinsman if there were no brothers. It was called kinsman redemption. And um, what we see, well, well um, Bryce can talk more about that next week. The lawyers and you would hear, the lawyers here will love it. But um, so what Naomi does is she sends Ruth out on a risky, or may I say risque, adventure to uh, go and uh, say to Boaz, I want you to marry me. And so, I mean, nothing's changed. Gents, Naomi says to Ruth, go and have a great bath, shampoo, condition your hair, put on the Chanel fragrance, take out your best item of clothing, which was the cloak. And then what you do is you go and choose your moment. She knows men so well. She raised two of them and was married to one. You can see Naomi's brilliant. She knows, don't, don't, don't go to the guy when he's grumpy. Or when he's stressed. You wait for when he's feeling like a fool. His feet are up. He's just having a nice nap. And when the world feels like everything's good, you ask the question. And so she goes. 
And she looks and she waits. And eventually, Boaz has had a good time. He's eaten and drunk and he goes and lies down. Hmm? I thought someone said, not that kind of drunk, drunk. Did I? Uh, uh, <laughs> well, we don't actually know, to be honest. But I think he's lucid. So he's not saying, <laughs> he, goes, he knows exactly who he's talking about. So please don't go down that route, all right? So anyway, he's had his nightcap, he's uh, full, and he's lying down. And then she goes, and she uncovers, not all the way, it says his feet, which was forward, all right? I'll be honest, commentators go, I think ultimately they show integrity, but it is very scandalous, in my opinion, for the, for the day. But um, I'll get to that in a moment. She lifts the... The, the lower part of his garments, and she lies there. Suddenly, he wakes up. What on earth is this at my feet? And we can see that here in this moment, Ruth's not trying to seduce Boaz. She doesn't want a secret lover. She doesn't want to be his weekend special. She says to him, would you spread your wings over me as a redeemer? And, and what she's saying is uh, 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 the uncovering of the feet commentators say is a way of saying, look, it will be great for me to be with you in bed as your wife. Would you take me? But not as anything other than as a redeemer would. And Boaz shows such integrity. He, his response in verse 10 is, my daughter. He's not taking advantage of her. She was vulnerable, but that dependency with Boaz is rewarded so richly by him saying, I'm going to take this matter in hand. Don't you worry about it. And I have two simple points left to, to, before I wrap it up. Is The third, it's very important in Boaz's answer, is that the Redeemer must be qualified. He so respects God's word. That's why I said Naomi knows how to get at him. That he, he goes, well, this has to be legal. And the nearest kinsman, we don't know his name. Very important point. That's not a sign of honor in Scripture. But the nearest kinsman uh, was in the, in the town. But Boaz knew him. He wasn't him. And so he says, I have to figure a few things out first. The first is, if the nearest one will be willing to take you. And then secondly, it has to be done legally, publicly. And we'll see that in chapter 4. And, and so Boaz is very careful around the correct relationship and that the process is done legally. And, and the final point I want to make before the conclusion today is that the Redeemer must be willing. <laughs> Do you know... There was a gap in the law if your brother's widow was left, your brother had died, for you to refuse. And in actual fact, the woman, listen to this in Deuteronomy 25, could do the following. The widow that remained from the brother's death could do this to her brother-in-law uh, if he refused. Then it says, Then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. Please, my love, don't do that, okay? And she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Whatever light, getting off light if you ask me. But she must remember, it is beautiful because the heart of redemption is requires great cost. And the reason why we'll see in chapter 4 but that, that the kinsman redeemer that's the nearest 
refuses is because this is how it worked. Is you were responsible if they had sold, if the brother had gotten destitute and sold their land, you as the brother-in-law had to spend money to buy that land back. You then had to invest. If anybody's done farming or a property, you had to invest a fortune to get it up and running again. And when that first child came through your marriage to your brother-in-law's widow, that first son got everything. You got nothing. And so, in a sense, your inheritance of your own children will be jeopardized because of your pouring in to honor your brother's legacy. And so, there were many in Israel that said, I don't want that. No. Because there was a great cost. And, and what we see here was, is Boaz is so willing. He loves Ruth so much. He gives an oath. He says, as Yahweh lives, don't you worry. Tomorrow, whether it's me or whether it's this guy, you will be redeemed. You'll be secure. You will have all that you're looking for. You will find a place to belong. You will find security. You will find identity. And you will have a hope for the future. And I just want you to push pause there for a moment. Can you imagine how Ruth felt after months and months of uncertainty? That for the first time in her life, here was a sworn oath that her and Naomi were going to be okay. And I'll put it to you, it was the first time in years for Ruth that she had rest. Beautiful. And my simple conclusion today is how restless are you? Before you write it down, ask yourself the question, how restless am I inside? I am learning that when I'm feeling unsettled internally, it is because I'm feeling threatened in four of those ways. I'm feeling insecure if whether I belong or am accepted by somebody. I'm feeling insecure because I, something that is securing my life is being threatened. Maybe it's, it's because of um, there being a, an identity issue. Something's taken away, and I realize I, I have been forming my life around this thing, and now that it's gone, who am I? And then sometimes, when you, particularly, you have to be careful of the news. Five minutes in the news, am I going to be okay? And Naomi is living proof, and Ruth is living proof that that happens to the believer as well as the unbeliever. And I've just got to ask you, church, I'm asking myself this morning, how restless are you inside? And that restlessness can drive us to do a lot of things that when we look back on are like Moab. I'll share with you, man, every day I have to fight addiction to my phone. Every day. Every day I have to fight that need to run to something to dull a restlessness. And I can time my need for my phone by how restless I am inside. And there are many other things. It could be alcohol. It could be a form of social media. It could be a kind of relationship that's becoming toxic. Friends, I want to ask you firstly today, are you restless inside? Because if you are, this word is for you. We need to ask, Saul, Saul, how are you doing? What's troubling you? What are you striving after that you feel that you don't have? 
And friends, today I want to remind you of the words of Jesus. Scripture only gives one unchanging source for those things we are deeply longing for as human beings. And that is Christ himself. Do you remember these beautiful words in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30? Come to me, read it with me. All. Does it say some? So let's start again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for your yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you notice the kind of rest Jesus offers is an internal rest? It's rest for your souls. How many need that today? Double hands up in the air for me. And what you find is when Naomi, this is important, begins to see the gentleness and kindness of Boaz, she has this confidence in herself to send Ruth to that kind of man. If Boaz had been harsh, if Boaz had been um, unkind, if Boaz had been ungodly, she would have had no certainty or no confidence to come. But the beauty of Boaz's heart is Christ today. Is that he is lowly and gentle in heart. I need to know that. Because there are often times in my life when I have wandered off into Moab knowing it was wrong. And the shame or the difficulty of recovering is God, will you be kind to me again? You know, I heard when I first got saved, you got kind to me then. And you know, you, got, you, you can be kind a few times. But as I'm getting older, has your heart changed towards me? Because I'm still getting some stuff really wrong. And what it leads me in is this moment of, I'm restless, God. I know I'm not right in my behavior. But does that mean I can still come to you and find refuge under your wings of redemption? Can I still find a place where I can find a peace that's not attached to my performance and a rest in your love that's not attached to how conditional mine is? And there is something beautiful in the heart of Jesus that we see in Boaz. To anybody here today who is restless, he says, you come. It doesn't matter. He doesn't say some. He says all. Praise God for that. His heart is wide. His love is gentle. And his handling of you is humble. And what Naomi is finding is as she comes to Boaz, the load is lifting. How am I going to supply Ruth with the future? How am I going to supply Ruth with finances? How am I going to supply Ruth with an identity? How am I going to do all these things? I can't do it. I can't. When she turns to the Redeemer and she begins to see that when she comes to his gentle and lowly heart, suddenly all the responsibility she's been carrying for Ruth is put on him. And friends, it's not only Ruth that comes home with rest, it's Naomi too. Wow. Can I appeal to you today to believe his love for you? I was listening to a man I, I admire greatly. 
and he, he, I think he's, he's, it was Artie Kendall. Maybe scrap that comment. I think it was Artie Kendall. And he said this, you'll only trust Jesus to the degree that you believe his love for you. It's so true. My life has been an object lesson of trying to motivate myself by getting things right and fear. And I'm learning that what that did for me was, God, please don't ask me to do any more. Because I can't do it. Don't put any more expectation on me, God. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. Rather than flipping that over into going, there is rest in Christ. So that when he asks me, I know he's spreading his wings over me as my redeemer. And I don't have to earn anything in him. I don't have to be anything more for him. I can receive his love for me right where I am. And in that moment, it does something for me. It sets me up. It gives me a source bigger than my own self-will. And gives me a hope that this Jesus, man, if he asks me, he's going to help me. If he asks me to stand through trial because of his love for me, I believe his promises. I believe that when he says to me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why do I believe that? Just because it's cold in writing in God's word? No, because I know the character of the one who said it to me. I believe he loves me. Do you today? Because the more you believe it, the more you will feel it. And friends, to believe his love for you, it is radical. It goes beyond the realm of human love. And that is so hard. It enters into a realm of faith where you go, I have known conditional love. My dad was a nice guy maybe. My mom was a nice lady. But it was still conditional. They were, they were, they were finite and fallen. But in God, he takes us into a realm of unconditional love that only the Spirit can give to us in our experience as we believe him. Do you want that today? Because what we need to settle that restlessness inside of us is to come to a Christ that says, I love you. That is never going to change. And when you see the faces frown, when you see the faces criticized for failure, when the men and women around you turn their back because of your lack of performance or because of you not doing what they want, there will be one place in your life you can run to where his face is eternally towards you and it's one of loving acceptance and it is a refuge, my friend. There is one place of unconditional love and it is from Christ alone. You will find the belonging and acceptance you need, the security of his covenant love and certain promises. Moab could not offer the guarantee of the Redeemer. You know what Moab left Ruth and, and, and Naomi with? Naomi was there. It says she was working in the fields. It obviously wasn't going very well until she heard God's word. She went back and she found a Redeemer and friends in that space. All the security that she needed was provided. That is Christ's role for you. When you come to faith in Jesus, he spreads his redeeming wings, which you find refuge under, and he keeps his promises from start to finish. Perhaps we are in a season of difficulty in our lives because God is wanting us to so believe his word that we walk by faith, faith secured by the love of Christ. The only way, please listen to me this morning, the only way you are going to learn to walk by faith is to believe God's word for the need that you have. There is a growing 
curriculum that God is introducing into your life every day, that you will learn he is a loving redeemer that keeps his word, that as you stand in the need and say, Jesus, you promised me, when you spread your redeeming wings over my life, you promised me this, you promised me this, and you see him come through, that is how you grow in trusting him. And, our, and perhaps our restlessness here today is not a form of, of, of physical sin. Maybe a restlessness here today is a form of unbelief where God is saying to you, I have, I have given you the refuge of my son's promises. You come under and you stay there. You find rest and peace there. I'll move on. But Jesus did say you have to come. You have to come. Just like Ruth had to go to Boaz and say, would you spread your wings over me and be my redeemer? You have to come. And friends, there is no one else qualified to give you the space in your life other than him. This Jesus left heaven to come down to earth to take on your flesh, to know your fear, to face all that you are facing right now. He took on flesh. Nobody was qualified other than a sinless person taking on uh, this, this sinless son of God, taking on flesh, coming close to you in relationship, and then saying, I am going to, in weakness, die on the cross for your sin. And friends, the way that Ruth found redemption was through covenant love. Jesus is saying today, I'm not offering you a one-night stand. I'm not offering you a, you know, a moment of salvation. I'm offering you a lifetime, an eternity of covenant. If you will come and receive me and my means of redemption, putting your faith in the cross and the blood of Jesus, you will receive an eternity of my redeeming wings. You will know what it means to face life and experience the refuge of me. He legally satisfied the only, I mean, the, the, the requirements of, of, of the penalty of sin, which was death. He was a perfect sacrifice that fully satisfied the justice of God on the cross so that mercy can now pour down from heaven on those who will come under his redemption. And he's willing. You'll say today, well, yeah, I'm restless. Man, I've got this stuff going down in my life that I need to come to you with, Jesus. But, but, but are you going to be willing? Yes, he left heaven to come down to earth whilst you were still an enemy. And in that space, loved you. And I'll share this last conclusion that I've learned from this chapter today. I never saw this reading, Ruth. But it's true is from that moment of covenant marriage with Boaz, redemption was not just a moment for her. It was a lifelong experience. I'll say that again. These wings that Boaz was offering Ruth was not just for a moment. For the rest of her life, Ruth enjoyed the safety and security of a redeemer. I, I often think to myself, what would have happened in Ruth's life? You know, they, they definitely had Obed. They had a son. They probably had more. In her mothering, she would have felt guilty and a failure. She would have had Boaz there. When there was need and, and security, she would have had Boaz there. When there was some issue with another person threatening her, she would have had Boaz there. 
I tell you, the joy of her life changed because it wasn't just a covenant moment that changed her. It was coming into a covenant relationship that from the day of her covenant union with this Boaz, she enjoyed all the privileges of his uh, refuge-providing wings. Can I say to you today as a Christian, I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't need to come back to my Redeemer and say, I just need you in this area of your life to cover me with your wings. We live in a wicked world, a world that is fallen, a world that has uncertainties about it, well, certainly the sovereign God, but we have to face the day-to-day -day realities of change. And what I walk away with this morning is the joy of knowing, come what may, my Redeemer lives. That my joy of Him releasing me from sin the first time is what I can experience over and over, the joy of him providing his greatest in my need, I can experience it down to the very practicalities of my life. Friends, that is the joy of the Christian. That's the joy of the one who takes refuge under the wings of Christ. So let's pray. I want us just to close our eyes for a moment and to ask yourself, am I restless this morning? God, would you show us, I pray by your spirit, where do we need rest? The next great question is to say, how have I been trying to find it? <laughs> just, 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 Lord, show us. Show us. Show us what we run to. Is it our problem solving? Is it our planning? Is it our saving? Trying to upskill? Won't you take that need and say, Lord, I'm not going to those things. I'm coming to you. And won't you say to him, Lord, I want to stay there. And then you can say to him, Lord, I know I'm going to drift. But bring me back again and again. Lord, I'm so grateful that as a church this morning, we are under your eternal wings. Our hope is certain in Christ. Our future in heaven awaits. Lord, in this life, we are secure. You walk it with us. Your eyes on us all the time. Your prayers are perfect being answered by a Father who loves us just as much. We rest this morning. Thank you for this place in your hearts and your people that we loved. We are loved. We are not orphans, we are loved. We trust you today. Oh God, I pray that 
We know these, these wings are over us in Christ, but would we feel them by your Spirit this morning? The joy of being loved. I just want to give an invitation. If, if you have never seen Jesus in this way, you are welcome to come under his wings of redemption, but you have to ask him. You have to say, Jesus, I'm forsaking Moab. I'm forsaking the fields of self and sin to be covered by your wings of mercy. Tell him, I want you alone. I trust you alone. You are so welcome. We thank you for these moments, Lord. We're so grateful for the way you reach us day by day. And we just pray, God, would you seal this word in our hearts? It's the season for it, Lord. We need to know the wings of your redemption in this day and age. And we just pray as we go, Lord, this morning, we would feel covered in your precious and beautiful, wonderful and worthy name, Jesus. We pray these things. Amen.